Welcome to Uncle Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Uncle Farm, uh, the Bill Gadd ETSU College of Pharmacy. It's the very last uh, week of April here, 2022. Our P4s are getting ready to, to graduate, going to take their NAPLEX. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a busy time at the college. going to take some time off this weekend, so I'm going to do kind of an abbreviated episode. Uh, I call this a nutshell episode. Did one of these a few months ago called Sarcoma in a Nutshell. Uh, maybe I'll do a few more and see if people like them and see if I'm going to continue doing them. So if you like this type of, uh, of episode, uh, let me know. I'll, I'll keep doing them. These are, these are probably, you know, maybe not geared for the seasoned uh, clinician, but more for uh, maybe students, residents, things like that, or folks who maybe uh, are kind of new to oncology, especially the disease states. So we're talking about melanoma and I kind of just hit the high points in a nutshell for you in a few minutes. So melanoma, this is the, the one type of skin cancer that we kind of care about and that we track when I say care about, like the SEER database, S-E-E-R, that tracks every diagnosis of cancer. Doesn't doesn't track, you know, cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma of the skin, but does track melanoma. So when we say non-melanoma skin cancer, that's everything else. Melanoma is the one we worry about. And that's because melanoma is a bit of an odd duck when it comes to cancers, uh, and we'll get to that. So this is a malignancy of melanocytes, which are the cells in the skin that uh, provide the pigment, the color uh, in our skin, whether you're light-skinned, dark-skinned, etc. How all has to do with melanin in the melanocytes. There are... Um, there is cutaneous melanoma, so that's melanoma of the skin, right? And you think that's the only one, but there's also uveal melanoma, which is melanoma of the uvea in the eye. And uveal melanoma can spread to the liver most commonly. It can spread anywhere. And that kind of highlights a little bit what is odd about melanoma as a disease, uh, is, is metastatic melanoma kind of has a really, a really darn random metastasis pattern. You know, like colon cancer will classically go to the liver first, and then it will go to the lungs, you know? And, and breast cancer, prostate cancer, classically uh, hormone-positive cancer spread to uh, the bone first, right? There's a, there's a pattern behind that. Lung cancer likes to go, you know, to the brain, to the adrenal glands, for example, and the liver. With, with melanoma, it's random where it goes. And, and of course, you might have a, a cutaneous lesion. It, it will, you know, spread the lymph nodes. You can even have something called intransitory melanoma, where it's kind of on the way uh, to, the, to the lymph nodes. I won't get into the type of surgical resection that is done, but that's kind of the first way that we treat these folks with, uh, with early stage diseases, surgical resection, the Mohs procedure, sort of fancy, you know, uh, approach. You can, you can find a good Google image. It's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, progressively wider cuts, I believe is how it's done. I don't know, I'm not a surgeon. Um, but that's the first thing, right? That's what we think is curative is, is the, uh, the surgery part of it. Um, now, after surgery, uh, let's talk about the drugs that work for melanoma first. So drugs that work, uh, well, about for the 50% or so who have a BRAF V600 mutation, uh, BRAF and MEK inhibitor combinations is effective in the adjuvant setting, we think, but certainly in the metastatic setting as well. And, and the folks with BRAF mutated disease tend to, they do better, right? They've got a, an extra line of treatment that the BRAF negative folks don't have with these tyrosine kinase inhibitors. And then our most effective drugs are immune checkpoint inhibitors. And there was actually a period of time where there was a debate, you know, there was evidence that we should do adjuvant interferon in these patients for a year. It was really darn toxic, right? You get some anemia, you get some transaminitis, you'd have flu-like symptoms that would go away after a while, uh, you'd get depression, 
really toxic stuff and there was like benefit at three years, but then at five years there was no longer benefit, so it was kind of unclear. Uh, and this was kind of the first clue along with some of the IL-2, high-dose IL-2 studies showed complete response rates in metastatic melanoma, that the immune system was really important in melanoma. So uh, that's why immune checkpoint inhibitors, you know, like single agent, uh, you know, pembrolizumab or nivolumab, uh, are useful in the adjuvant setting. And then in the metastatic setting, you have single agent PD-1 or PD-L1 inhibitors. And then the combination, um, ipilimumab, the CTLA-4 inhibitor, and nivolumab or nivolumab plus the lag-3 inhibitor, relatlimab, which was just approved and we talked about in recent weeks on this podcast. Um, what, you know, and kind of what's odd about this melanoma, it's one of the few diseases in the metastatic setting where you will, pers- where you will pursue a metastatectomy. All right, so let me put it to you this way. Let's say you have somebody with lung cancer and it spreads to the liver. You don't go in and try to reset, and it's just one lesion in the liver. You don't go in and try and resect that in the liver or there's you know a, a spot somewhere else. You, know, you don't go in and, tr- and try to resect those, those metastases generally for other solid tumors. But for lung cancer or for, for melanoma, you do if they're small, if it's oligometastatic, right? Oligo meaning not very many. So if there are a limited number of metastatic lesions that are easily resectable, then you go resect those. And, and metastatic melanoma, these patients can go on for years and years and years. And we're seeing, you know, in the immune checkpoint inhibitor era, five-year overall survival rates of close to 50% um, for these patients. And, and that's because these, this metastatic disease, you know, they can, they can go for periods of time with no evidence of disease where their PET scans are clean. By the way, the PET scans for these patients are head to toe. Usually the PET scans will stop below the pelvis um, because there are no, no major organs below the pelvis once you get down to the, to the thighs. Here we go all the way head to toe because melanoma can pop up anywhere. Anywhere there is skin, there could be melanoma, right? So these are head to toe PET scans. Um, but it's kind of like whack-a-mole. Where you'll have a patient that can be meta- have metastatic uh, melanoma. You put them on immune checkpoint inhibitor. All their disease goes away. Um, you know, maybe plus or minus a metastatectomy. And there's a whole other question, how long do we continue ICI in these folks if they do have no evidence to disease in the metastatic setting? But eventually the disease will come back some years later and you can just take out, if it's a single site of metastatic disease, you take that out and they keep going. So it's really strange. That doesn't happen with other cancers when they become metastatic. And it probably has to do with how important the immune system is uh, to melanoma. What you have not heard so far is cytotoxic chemo. There's no role for cytotoxic chemo. There are some old, really toxic Dartmouth regimens with decarbazine and, and temozolomide was actually, uh, you know, been compared and, you know, doesn't really have any, any, any benefit uh, in terms of overall survival. It doesn't really affect the natural history of, of the disease here for melanoma. Um, another kind of interesting thing about melanoma is it is one of the malignancies that has a high risk when it does spread to the brain of those brain mets bleeding spontaneously. You might think all brain mets can bleed, and, and they can, but in general, the ones we really worry about are metastatic melanoma and renal cell carcinoma when they spread to the brain. And those drugs are, they, you know, histologically very different, um, anatomically very different, but they both don't respond to cytotoxic chemo, and they both respond pretty darn well to immune checkpoint inhibitors and immunotherapy. Uh, they both had early data for high dose IL-2. Um, so they're, you know, and, and to a lesser extent, some, some types of thyroid cancer are the same way with that high risk of bleeding in the brain, not responding to cytotoxic chemo. So that makes me think there's something tying them together somehow, which, which I don't know. Um, kind of the last thing about melanoma 
is, um, you know, from a, a screening standpoint, you know, most insurance here in the United States will pay for you to go to a dermatologist once a year to get, uh, you know, a melanoma screen. Um, there is no randomized controlled phase three trial showing that that helps people not have melanoma or die from melanoma. We do have that data for, for breast cancer with mortality from colon cancer and cervical cancer with, um, you know, just the incidence of disease as well as mortality. Um, but we don't have great evidence for that in melanoma. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do that. Uh, and of course, risk factors for melanoma you're probably aware of are fair-skinned, you know, the blue-eyed, fair-haired maidens and such, and, and guys, um, there is uh, a lot of the good um, uh, melanoma research comes from Australia, which uh, is an American. What I know about Australia uh, comes from Bill Bryson's book, In a Sunburned Country, and it's a sunburned country, so that's how I have always associated uh, melanoma with uh, with Australia. Um, by the way, um, last thing I'll wrap up with a little bit of a clinical pearl here is you can see one of the side effects of immune checkpoint inhibitors is vitiligo, where you know because of the pembrolizumab, the nivolumab, whatever, the the body's own immune system then attacks melanocytes and you get a, a depigmentation of parts of the skin. And uh, people can have this without immune checkpoint inhibitors, right? And so people who develop vitiligo actually have a lifetime decreased risk of melanoma. Their immune system is already pretty darn uh, aggressive and angry and is already attacking um, regular melanocytes and they will do the same to, to uh, cancerous or malignant melanocytes. So if you do have somebody with vitiligo, it's a disease that people can maybe be a little bit embarrassed by because uh, you know they look different than they used to or from their peers, but uh, you know they do have a, a lower risk uh, of developing melanoma in their life. Uh, that's kind of it. That's, that's, that's melanoma uh, without talking really in, any numbers except for 50% BRAF uh, positivity, mutation positivity. All right. So if you like that, uh, I can do more of those for other cancers. Something like breast would probably take a little bit longer, trying to keep this under 10 minutes to really keep it in a nutshell. Uh, be back next week with a, uh, a landmark of Oncopharm series. Um, next week, May 5th, was a pretty big day. Uh, May 5th, 2004. Uh, that's the hint. Uh, so we'll talk about that next week. Um, and until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm -hmm.